Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're discussing the new Todd Haynes film, May December, which is currently playing on Netflix after a short theatrical run. It's loosely based on the scandal created by Seattle school teacher Mary Kay Letourneau back in the 90s. Um, and it involved, um, if you, it was tabloid fodder for months. If you were, if you were around, you, you never forgot it. It was everywhere. It involved her sexual relationship with a, um, a boy who was 12 at the time, shockingly her own student, um, and whom she married after getting out of prison. Um, you know, she had to serve time for child rape. She had one of her children in prison, um, and she ultimately bore two children um, by him. And of course, they went up married. Um, May December stars Natalie Portman as TV actor Elizabeth Berry, who's about to act in an indie film biopic based on the life of Gracie Atherton Yu, who's the, the, the uh, Mary Kay Letourneau figure. Um, she's played by Julianne Moore. Barry comes to the prosperous-looking Georgia home of Gracie and her husband, Joe Yu, played by Charles Melton, who's just getting incredible notices. Um, I guess he's a TV guy, uh, like a hunk, it plays a hunk in Riverdale, um, <laughs> and gained like 35 pounds for this role, and he's just getting, people are just talking about what a revelation he is. It's a great, great performance. Um, so she's living with this husband who's obviously much younger. He's in his mid thirties, but he was, he was, as they're representing 13 when he, when he, I think committed to her after she gets out of jail. Um, they're living with their children. Um, and, um, the Elizabeth Berry character has come to research their lives. Her presence stirs up profound disturbances in a family where it's illicit, illicit basis is the forbidden area that can't be addressed in any sustained or honest way. And as Todd Haynes notes, Elizabeth Barry, Barry is hardly an objective observer herself as she immerses herself in the household in increasingly transgressive ways. I, we, oh, we could talk about this for ages, but let's just plunge in. Dolores, do you even have a hot take on this that can be summarized? I, I can't. I mean, I, my hot take is like, I love you, Todd Haynes. <laughs> <laughs> From the opening image, which is this like dreamy shot of a butterfly and this disturbing music that's like somewhere between the films of Douglas Sirk and mm. David Lynch. Um, I was just like, he's got this. He's got oh, us. Yes. Yes. The we're, feeling we're of someone it. in control is so sensational. Oh, great. Just, yeah. Heaven. Well, so I felt like I could totally surrender. Mm -hmm. First, I surrendered to pleasure. The images were so beautiful. Um, kudos to the cinematographer, Christopher Blauvelt, who recently did the Kelly Reichardt film showing up. Uh, most recently. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's hard to describe them. They've got these like, it's a very soft, like almost 70s um, yes. look to this thing. And the setting is in Savannah, Georgia, which mm -hmm. itself is like soft and dreamy and kind mm -hmm. of like feverish. All of the Spanish moss. One of the, you know, the one of the few places in Georgia that wasn't leveled by Sherman. <laughs> so it's got mm. this like old, 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 like dreamy feeling. Um, I, I, this film to me, I knew it was going to be smart, but it was brilliant. It made me think about this kind of relationship in a million more ways. So mm -hmm. it is, it's, uh, you know, definitely, uh, there's no doubt about it. This is like a 
devastating, tragic critique of like what happened between these two people. The devastation is, um, it's multifold. Um, probably the most tragic, well, I don't know. They're both really tragic, but the mm. husband who was a young yeah. man when the couple got together, like his story, he's heartbreaking. He's mm. like a case stuck in a case of arrested development. Mm. And it's um, so difficult to see him be like startlingly immature in ways, even though the film portrays him as a really loving father. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely a doting husband. Um, but the but the character played by Julianne Moore is also heartbreaking and definitely like supremely damaged in a way that um, does let you to have some kind of like understanding for her. Or at least if you don't have like a real insight, you're at least like moved to view her as a human being to whom like awful things have probably happened. Um, it's uh, to me, it's hard to condemn her. Uh, the, her actions are completely reprehensible, but her as a person, uh, it's not so neat and tidy. And I'm so grateful to Todd Haynes for that, because to me, this is the answer to a film like Priscilla where whereas like I saw and I think you saw (laughs) Priscilla as um really reductive like Elvis Presley was just a villain a two-dimensional villain um in the story of uh, you know abuse of a young woman Priscilla uh you know he was 24 she was 14 um there was like no insight into him and there really wasn't any insight into Priscilla this Mm -hmm. is the this is the opposite Mm -hmm. um this film is is so rich. It's so no, nuanced. It's so totally full of humanity, um, while at the same time leaving like no question about it. Um, you like no one in their thirties should have a sexual relationship with a twelve year old or a thirteen year old. Mm-hmm. Like it's just you know it's clear. There's no question about it. Um, so this film, oh, I I need to see it like four more times. Mm-hmm. There are so many layers. There are so many exciting, beautiful, like poetic rhymes of things. Mm -hmm. There's so much depth. There's so much beauty in the photography. There's so much brilliance in the script. I'm just like, I and fucking Julianne Moore. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. Charles Melton as Joe Yu is a revelation Mm -hmm. and he Mm -hmm. deserves to be like an an A-list star. He was heartbreaking and excellent. Mm -hmm. And for me, Julianne Moore always just fucking nails and especially when working with Haynes she's just always transcendent every time (laughs) this is you know it totally harkens back to her neurotic housewife in safe Mm -hmm. um her uh you know also neurotic but in a different way a housewife in (laughs) in um all that heaven I mean far from heaven Mm -hmm. (laughs) um there's just something about her like I she is so believable to me to me she's kind of like the Vivian Lee of our times Mm -hmm. um she's so good and different I mean she really like creates a very specific character mm-hmm. Gracie as she's created her has a lisp a very particular way of like holding herself a kind of creepy way of speaking mm-hmm. with this like little voice and um and but also this like very childlike manner sometimes and and intense vulnerability mm-hmm. um and she's really conveys like when Gracie has frequent like um, uh, uh, seemingly irrational emotional breakdowns and mm-hmm. she really conveys like how disturbed she is in those moments and I just mm-hmm. think she's incredible I'm a little more reserved about Natalie Portman mm-hmm. I think her character is very well written and she did a good job um I, I I you know I've gotten sort of 
texts from many friends who've seen this and said like, Natalie Portman, you gotta, you're going to be blown away. I'm never blown away by Natalie Portman. (laughs) And I'm still not blown away. Um, To me, she always looks like she's acting and which of course Mm -hmm. she is, um, but it doesn't like do it for me. Um, She's Mm -hmm. fine. She was, you know, it didn't ruin the movie for me at all. She's totally fine. And in a sort of objective sense, I can think to myself, she's doing a good job, but she's one of this category of actors. And this is just my own idiosyncrasy. Mm -hmm. Like I think of them as suburban people. <laughs> and like Natalie Portman is a suburban person. Mm-hmm. And like to me that means like they're she's incapable of a certain kind of depth including mm-hmm. d- portraying the true psychic disturbances like that she is often tasked with portraying mm-hmm. that's become her sort of like stock in trade now. I think mm-hmm. Julianne Moore is the, a master of that. And I do not think that Portman is, but you know, whatever. Um, let's not end on that note. Um, mm-hmm. I just like the poeticism of this, the depth, the sure-footedness of the direction, the stunning beauty of the cinematography, the weird, disturbing musical score. And this is just, it's like the work of a master, uh, many masters. And I just mm-hmm. felt like, I mean, this is, to me, this is one of the best films of the year, easily. Yes. Think- it's- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, do you have more? Do you have more? Shil- no, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to agree with everything and just highlight different things. So sometimes highlight the same things because yeah, I, I I haven't encountered a score like this in I don't even know when. Um, it's it's so it's so huge that it seems to be insisting on trauma and terribleness before you have any idea of what that could mean, and so it puts you on this high alert for. Yes whatever is going to happen or whatever has already happened, which is really going to be turned out to be more the case. It's what's already happened. Mm-hmm. It can never be thoroughly dealt with, but is endlessly causing havoc in, in these people's lives. Um, it's so impressive that Todd Haynes knew what he wanted, went and got said, I heard the score in this obscure film, went and said, we have to do a version of the score. I mean, <laughs> Apparently the whole crew was initially like, because they had it played on, you know, they had it playing during the, you know, the filming of Mm. scenes and the whole crew was like, what the hell, (laughs) what the fuck is this? And then he said, by the end of the day that they were humming parts of this crazy score. (laughs) Um, Tell us what so, so got into the madness of the score. And it's over these, again, opening images already described by Dolores, but they're so great that they're, they're like, Blur, you're in foliage with butterflies and you don't know where you are. It's very, it's almost Stan Brackage level yeah. of abstraction of you're in flora and fauna <laughs> kind of, and you don't know why. And it's only much later you find out that, that the, the character of Joe is raising monarch butterflies because they are, they are of course, uh, an endangered species and, he, and people learn they can raise them at home and help recover the numbers of monarch butterflies. So he's doing this, which is very much a part of his clear character as this, you know, truly stunted yet at the same time, essentially nurturing person who keeps trying and trying to make things better. Yeah. (laughs) And well, crucially, just a quick interjection, Mm -hmm. like crucially, he learns that part of keeping the butterflies alive is you have to kind of like extend the adolescence of the Mm -hmm. eggs. You have to keep them safe so they can develop yes. and grow. Like he was not given the chance to right. develop. Exactly. Oh. So that, <laughs> that plus the fact that the, the movie's happening at a time when 
the children he's had with Gracie, are, who are, you know, two, two of them, there's three, one has already graduated, but two are about to graduate. And so it's this, it's this occasion where it suddenly is bringing home to him his own youth, so many things. And so he's really falling apart in a way clearly he hasn't up to now. I read somewhere some great comment that said, it's like he's both stuck. The, most, the more obvious aspect is he's stuck as a case of arrested development. He's kind of stuck in his, somewhere in his teen years. You kind of hope not 13, but kind of. Yeah. It's where his life just gets severed in this crazy way. And he's like an old, a prematurely old man in the way he moves. And I thought that's exactly it. He's somehow combined qualities where he seems kind of heavy yeah. and slow. And it's like the, the impact of an ongoing unspoken grief or something that is combined with this terrible imposed youth forever. I mean, Julianne Moore's character is constantly rebuking him for, you know, what he's not doing right, as if he's a, as much her child as her other children. It's mm-hmm. very, very painful. Um, but you, you, get, you get so clamped into this situation that you can feel, like I said, you can feel from those images at the beginning where you don't even know what you're looking at, and the, the pounding piano music that is insisting on something huge, something tragic, um, that it emotionally does something to you that just puts you in a state where you where you're just on high alert in a way that's great that, that just is like really is the work of someone who knows what he what he's doing which is so rare oh my god yeah <laughs> the number of movies i see that are just slopping around <laughs> people think they're doing something and they don't know what the hell they're doing and they have no idea how to get the effect but they're sort of trying and versus this where he absolutely knows what he wants and is absolutely getting it it's just it's so riveting so yeah and you're and you and you're not allowed to settle on onto easy assumptions and it's wonderful to see i've read a bunch of interviews with todd haynes the way he works with press who in fact come in with easy answers and he's always like no not you know he's very polite and very graceful about it but he finds ways to try to point up there's more to this, like people assuming that he's way into tabloid stuff mm-hmm. and and saying, well, you're a tabloid guy, so you know all about, you knew all about Mary Kay Letourneau, right? And he's like, not really. I had mm-hmm. friends who were, but I was never particularly a tabloid guy. But their assumptions based on, you know, he does melodrama. Mm-hmm. He does he does stories that you could say are are based on kind of lurid material, but he doesn't give them a lurid treatment. But he's not some, he's not like salivating over stories of human misery turned into, he's the opposite. He's like, he encounters, seems to encounter these stories and find in them something that's not essentially contemptible, which is what the tabloid thrill is all about. You already have contempt for it. Mm-hmm. And then you get to, to wade into all the lurid stuff of people that you've already kind of dehumanized. And he's just like, that's not his way. Mm-mm. So. So that he can take this shocking, the basis, the shocking basis of the Letourneau story and turn it into something where you're like really struck or you really have to sort of contemplate where you stand. Because, of course, yeah, yeah, the maneuver is if you can have a stand. I mean, and as Dolores points out, it's not like you're ever thinking, I think it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) obviously not. To have, you know, been a 30-something, you know, woman and gone after, essentially, though she she insists toward the end that he's the one who was 
um, the one who was in control, the one who hit on her. And it's so outrageous that you're just like, oh, my God, she's convinced, had to convince herself mm-hmm. that this is what's ha- what happened in their past in order to live with what their lives are. Um, yeah, so I, I, like I, oh, go ahead. I, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to like bring mm. up um, along what you've, you know, to illustrate what you've been saying, there's mm. actually a scene included in the film itself where I, um, this is a in part a movie about a, a movie being made. Yes. Um, right. So it's like very self-reflexive, kind of a meta take. But mm. he includes at the end of the film, there's a version of this of a scene. Yes. Um, Seduction scene. Yeah. Mm. Which is the the moment where um uh Gracie the Julianne Moore character and would have hooked up for the first time with Joe mm. and the he Todd Haynes films it as a lesser director would she's yes. draped in a snake yeah. <laughs> she's definitely got a snake right. that she's trying to make him pet but she keeps saying it's okay to be afraid and you're like <laughs> oh god even the snake and the whole thing and she looks you know it's it's shot in a kind of lesser in every way a lesser so far lesser the, the the wig is bad that she's wearing. Mm-hmm. You know, everything about the look of it is cheap, and you're just like all that work and all that effort supposedly at understanding. And this is predicted by Gracie, so this isn't really going to make a lot of difference to the to the final movie, is it? Is something that the Gracie character says toward the end, mm-hmm. and then we see this kind of terrible result, which is just. Is exactly you're right. It's a, it's a super simple answer of like she was just an evil predator. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna evoke Eve in the Garden of Eden <laughs> and the snake and Eve, you know, <laughs> the temptation of Adam and the whole thing. And yeah. it's just a, it's mortifying. And the act having the actress played by you know um, um, Natalie Portman keep insisting like doing another take and then insisting even after they say they've got it on yet another take because she thinks they're getting closer to the truth. Mm-hmm. she's obsessed with this idea that she's after the truth and, so, and an interviewer asked Todd Haynes so are you particularly interested in the truth and he said no like, no <laughs> like just, I love him <laughs> no <laughs> no I mean I'm much more of a purist than him a, a naive purist I actually am interested in the idea of the truth but he's just like oh come on are we adults <laughs> here or are we kids Come yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> Only he won't say that because he's too polite. <laughs> yes, he's a nice man. <laughs> but at any rate, yes, it's, 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 that's wonderful at the end. When you see the kind of low rent thing that's going to come out of all this time spent investigating these people, supposedly these people's lives, and then interfering in the most egregious ways in these people's lives. And you, when you say about Natalie Portman is true, to me, she's always clearly lesser. Mm-hmm. You know, she's someone who was riveting for her looks mm-hmm. when she when she first became a star. She becomes, you know, she becomes very famous very, very young in a very, very shocking film, <laughs> which is called Professionals. And she's twelve, and she looks weirdly in her face looks oddly like she's made up to look twenty five. Mm. And it's you know, it's a kind of shocking ascent that it sort of makes her notorious slash famous as a child, and then she goes on, of course, to be you know very, very famous, but mainly for her beauty and for a kind of what I consider a kind of maddening, gracious lady elegance, what you call suburban, yeah. Yeah. I call a kind of pernicious, oh, it's like everyone can learn to play the gracious lady. The yes. best thing I can say, though, is that in recent years, like with her performance in Jackie, um, mm-hmm. in the Pablo Lorraine film, where she's playing Jackie Kennedy, she's, she's learning more about how to deploy her own gracious lady qualities. 
if she's got a good director to more <laughs> disturbing effect. It's like she's got a clue. It's like she's smart enough to know. She doesn't have the talent. Yeah. She doesn't have anything like the Julianne Moore's talent. Mm-mm. But she's at least smart enough to know. And and Todd Haynes really does tributes to her. She's she's a producer. She brought him the project. So she and it's written by someone else, which isn't usual for him. Usually he's written too. It's, it's written by Sammy. Oh, I'm already gonna lost her name. It's her it's her debut screenplay, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. Um, Sammy. It's somewhere in my outline, damn it. I'll find it later. <laughs> Sammy Birch and Alex Machanic. That's right. That's yes. And, but it initially was a story by or something. It was something by her that, that initially Haynes read and was very impressed and, and loved the idea. And they approached him and said, would you be interested in directing? And he was. And he met with Natalie Portman and he's gone on and on about how smart she is and how how much interested she is in sort of... Um, He said she's very mischievous. She wants to go at the way people relate to her star persona. Like they won't, they won't expect me to do this. She's so she's at least smart Mm -hmm. enough to start figuring out how to deploy a star persona that's quite confining. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's so she's getting better, I think, um, at learning how to work what she's got than she was before. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, it is true that you're kind of like. Sometimes the only times in the movie I was ever uncertain at the impact that it was supposed to be having were her scenes. Like there's mm-hmm. a scene that people are raving about, just raving about, who also love the film, but I'm not sure if, if it's for the same reasons as we are, mm-hmm. about the scene where she, she, she's doing all these conniving things that are getting more and more shocking as the movie goes on. And she steals a love, a love, an old love letter that was from Gracie to Joe. She steals it while she's... Basically, she's basically seduced Joe. And mm-hmm. it's like right after the sex act, she steals this. And she winds up using this love letter to practice. So she's looking into the into the camera as, as into a mirror. And there's mirrors everywhere in this movie. So you, you're seeing endless doubles and triples of, mm-hmm. of Julianne Moore and the, or the characters facing each other and all this complex imagery that's delightful because we never see it now. Used to see it all the time in Hollywood films, but not anymore. But at any rate, she's reading this letter and she's enacting um, um, Gracie, how much she's taken on Gracie's mannerisms, her lisp, her baby talk, kind of delivery, all this stuff. But in watching it, it's very crudely done. Like the lisp is bigger. Mm. Everything about it is bigger and cruder. And you're like, okay, is this supposed, I'm assuming it's supposed to be bigger and cruder. Ah. That's interesting. I didn't really. Okay, see, I was seeing Natalie Portman failing at the performance, but I like your reading better. That's my question. That's what I mean. You have this moment of uncertainty. Yeah. In a great, great actor, you'd be seeing an uncanny impersonation. But is that Mm -hmm. what Haynes wants? Or does he want the fact, or does he want, I don't know, I shouldn't say the fact, because we don't don't even know if it's a fact. Does he want that she's not that great an actor, slash, she doesn't really have nearly the grip on Gracie's character she thinks she does. Uh-huh. So that, so you, I'm hesitating over that, but other people are just raving, like, you'll just be knocked dead by Natalie Portman from the scene. And I'm like, no, no, because uh-huh. for the, for the, one of the few times in the movie, I'm not, I'm not sure what he's trying for here. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. Oh, I love it. If that's intentional. <laughs> if it's intentional, I love it too. Yeah. I want to give yeah. him the credit. 
for it. Yeah. But I did make me hesitate because at first I thought, oh, we're supposed to think this is good. And then I was like, ooh, it's not really, it's not really very good. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. That's what I thought it like. Oh, that, yeah. This is not as good as people say, but I but like your spoiler alert. It, it makes sense in the context of things yep. that happen toward the end of the film where where the Elizabeth, the actor character, thinks she over, she's overconfident that she understands Gracie and that she can now leave. And Gracie says, so you think you really know me, right? And then she does, she says things that undercut um, Elizabeth's whole sense of who this person is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that it's, that it's part of that through line. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, I love it. So, I mean, one thing that the film plays with is, uh, yeah, like what to believe becomes mm-hmm. difficult, especially where Gracie is concerned. Yeah. Um, Gracie has a, a an original family <laughs> from when she was married in her late twenties, early thirties. She has a mm-hmm. couple of kid with a ma- kids with a man of her own age. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know she gets busted for being with Joe. Um, has Joe's first kid in prison and then they go on to have more kids. She gets out of prison and they get married and have Mm. a family. Um, But this first family features a gay son who is so Todd Haynes coded because he sings like rock and roll from the Mm. seventies. And if, you know, if you know, Todd Haynes, Todd Haynes, you know, who, who created the film Velvet Goldmine, like Mm. loves like glam rock, seventies rock. Mm. And it's like tall. He's got dyed blonde hair. I don't know. He's just, you know, a little bit Todd Hainsey, but um, like also supposed to be a fuck up. And you can't tell if this fuck up is a truth teller or just a pure manipulator who who will do anything for a little bit of money. Right. And so this kid like, te- pardon me, tells Natalie Portman's character that his mother, um, Julianne Moore, was raped by her brother starting when she was 12. Mm-hmm. And that that explains her later um, taking up with Joe, her abuse of Joe. And um, we believe that for the whole film until the last scene (laughs) when when it may still be true. But Julianne Moore destabilizes that by saying, oh, I know what my son told you. I, you know, I talk to him every day to him every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and then she says something wonderful. She has a wonderful last line, like insecure people are really dangerous. I'm secure. Make sure you get that in there, meaning into into the performance you're going to give in this film. And you just don't even, after all you've seen, you don't even know. It's like mind blowing because you don't even know how to incorporate that. Yep. (laughs) What? (laughs) You just don't even know. (laughs) It's so startling. Her whole character keeps doing that to you where you just feel like you don't know. Like, is she a complete, completely, is she pathological? Is she just sort of mildly delusional? Is uh-huh. she, you, you, you just don't know. It, has she just found certain defenses as a way? Sometimes she's very flat and implacable. Like, this is just my life. I don't analyze kind of yep. thing. Yep. And she'll just shut down any kind of questioning, even while pretending I'm here to be completely open about, about our, our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but then other times, of course, she's having crying fits over seemingly the smallest. You don't even know why sometimes. Mm-hmm. And her relationships, you know, with with Joe and her children are are sort of some sometimes quite chilling. Sometimes you just don't know, you don't know what to make. Julianne Moore just does the most amazing job of playing every possible thread of the character, so that you can't get any kind of easy read. You just can't. 
totally. And there's this scene, Eileen, I'm dying for you to help me make sense of this. I mm. loved it, but I still don't know exactly what it means. Mm. So Joe, uh, Joe has an encounter with Elizabeth, the Nellie Portman actress. Yeah. And like you get the sense that he's kind of reliving his past with yes. uh, Gracie and they have, the, so they have sex and he feels guilty. Um, he, he feels naive and abused again. He thought they had a real connection, like boyfriend, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She's obviously just using him for information for her role. Mm-hmm. So he comes home to Gracie, his wife, he showers, he's like in misery waiting for her to wake up or just kind of sitting in their bedroom in the dark. Um, they have a big emotional scene where he's, you know, he's thinking thoughts and wondering if it wasn't okay, what happened between them and think, you know, he's starting to, what, I don't know, glaciers are starting to shift, you know, inside. It's like, what's shocking is it seems like it's clearly for the first time that he's saying, Maybe yeah. I was too young at 13 <laughs> to yeah. agree to like marry you <laughs> yeah, and, and have kids and be a father and a husband and all this other stuff. Yes, it's quite, quite shocking. Yeah, it, it's devastating. And so Julianne Moore's character kind of stonewalls him. At first, she like comforts him, but then she doesn't like what he's saying. Uh, she kind of shuts him down and leaves the room. She goes where we're told earlier in the film that uh, she has hunted and killed quail for dinner. So Mm. we know she hunts. So after their argument, we see her hunting with a gun and her two dogs in the woods. Mm. And we're wondering, like, what the hell is she doing? (laughs) What is she hunting for? Right before graduation when normally she'd be in a frantic state of prep because she always wants everything to be perfect. That's it. And her excuse for leaving the argument is it's graduation. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like, I mean, it's a brilliant conceit anyway, like graduating, you know, that means mm-hmm. like you've had proper time to develop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. a ceremony marking your maturity, blah. Um, but so she's out in the woods, like hunting with this gun and the, she comes across a fox mm-hmm. and you just get the shot reverse shot with her and the fox. She, you don't know if she shoots it or what, what the hell was that supposed to like indicate like, all right, she's a predator straight up. Or right. like, well, is she is know. she suddenly, or is she just thinking of herself suddenly as the vixen predator? Yeah. If, does she have a moment where this is that clearly she's she's stonewalled this all along that she's in a state that at the very least she's in a state of denial that's awesome. Yeah. That you just can't believe. Like, how could anyone maintain for all these years? But on the other hand, in order to continue living the way they live, they have to live in denial. They have to. Yeah. Oh, otherwise, they can't. They can't stay married. They can't have these kids. They can't live in that house in the same area where they were, where it happened. Mm -mm. It's all this huge, it's such a colossal level of denial that you, that's all I could assume is like, this is the moment where she, yes, where she encounters the vixen predator. And I think vixen is the right way to consider the female fox with a bad reputation. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That for the one moment she looks at the fox and has to stop because she's just heard this. I mean, he even says the crucial line that sort of makes her freak out is, if we're in, as in love as we tell everyone we are, mm-hmm. how come we can't talk about this? Mm-hmm. And then she's like, if we're, if we're, because their whole way of, her whole way of justifying what happened was they were truly in love. Mm-hmm. It was a love that transcended Age. Categ- age categories. Mm-hmm. And the only way to prove that is to get married, have, you know, have kids, utterly solidify and stay married, right? It's the only right. way. 
So her investment in that is so colossal, she can't even hear at the if, the if way of expressing this. She can't hear any of it. So there's no answer to the situation, and that, which is, makes you just so, you, that's where the piano music that has been so pounding and, and insistent really comes in. Like, yeah. even as you're looking at people who are just having cookouts and stuff, it's at, a, at an almost unbearable level of emotional pressure all the time. It's incredible. And Eileen, I don't know if you shared with the view, like listeners, I know we were like talking about this earlier. You found some interesting like um, research about where Todd Haynes got the inspiration for the music. Oh yeah. 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 Let me, let me quickly tell you it's um, he, 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 in a in an obscure movie that he said is almost impossible to find. It's a 1971 film called The Go-Between. And you said it's based on a Harold Pinter play, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so almost nobody's seen this film. He happened to catch it on TCM. I guess he's a devoted watcher and really does impassioned arguments for the importance of, of TCM. And I'm all right there with him. Um but he lo- he he loved the the hugeness of the score in sort of dictating your emotional a kind of a huge, a big, seemingly disproportionate emotional reaction that only gradually you're going to be able to figure out, I'm assuming, is what the what the basis is. I really want to see the go-between now. Um, so yeah, that's how precise this score is, so that he basically went and got his own composer, Marcelo um, Zarvos, to adapt that that score for this mm-hmm. film. Yeah, and it's and you know other th- interesting things. The the amazing look of the film, which as you keep saying, is very soft and, and it has grain to it, but it's not that it's not that seventies grain. It just has a lot of what what they called highly textured look. It's because mm-hmm. he shot on actual film. Oh my god, it looks For, so stunning. You're just like really. I mean, that just just tends not to happen anymore. It's been made so impossible for people. But yes, they actually shot on film to get this to get this look. So yeah. the look and the sound is just so striking. You really, you just, you just feel mesmerized. Like you're seeing something you, you can't be seeing and yet, and yet it's happening. So yes, very, very, very remarkable film in every way and designed to be. So that's just thrilling. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Um, and it, to me, it does add, I mean, so I've been like at first, I don't know. I agree with the people who sense like camp in it like from yeah, that's, the, that's interesting yes i meant to talk about that go ahead well yeah and the music is such a big part of that for the mm-hmm. from, since from those opening shots i felt like i was watching douglas sirk mm-hmm. and douglas sirk has a certain ironic distance mm-hmm. you can call it ironic you can call it brechtian in some forms i guess you can interpret it as camp whatever mm-hmm. it is like it gives you enough distance from the subject that like you know you understand like the world as role play, you know, mm-hmm. in a in a way. But like when the, the fucking when you first see those butterflies and that hear that score, you're like, oh, okay. And that's <laughs> like, exactly the reaction. I mean, apparently, like it came right out of the Cannes Film Festival with people raving about it, but saying it's high, high camp. And I they would talk it. about exactly that. That's that the the butterflies and the thing opening. If they, they might mention that briefly, but mainly it's the scene early early on where where the score surges up as as Julianne Moore opens a refrigerator, <laughs> and you're like to the point that you're like thinking she must be seeing something horrific in the refrigerator. That's how big the score is, and then all she says is, 
I think we're going to need more hot dogs. <laughs> totally, totally. So everyone is citing this as like this is this is just as camp as camp can get. And you know, there's a, there's lengthy answer. It's just Todd Haynes was he was taken aback simply because he hadn't conceived of the film in those terms. Him and th- he says, "I love camp." You know, I know yeah. all about camp. I love camp, but I never was thinking of this film in terms of camp. It's simply is, there. <laughs> what, what? It, it's simply there. You know, it's a you know whatever. Yeah, I think it just it presumably emerges for a lot of people. But I think I think he I think I understand what maybe his concern is. For some people, camp has a dis, is, is something you dismiss. Mm-hmm. Like if it's camp, it can't be. A lot of people, you know, who who don't know a lot about the whole complex definition of camp would think, well, then I don't have to take any of it seriously. And that's True. my guess. Yeah. I think he's concerned with, then I can dismiss this mm-hmm. as a kind of high style exercise that I n- need not invest in any way. And, and that's not at all the way to read Cirque or, no. or lots of other people. Who yeah. Are, or like Almodovar has often like a similar tone, you know, uh-huh. Like it, but it's camp, but it's serious. Whatever is going to be said in this camp, occasionally camp melodrama is also serious. You know, mm-hmm. that's and all. That, that's the only reason. I think, <laughs> I think he was nervous because now yeah. almost every review that you see is just like it's an exercise in high camp. Came right out of the can, and I think he made him. I could see why it made him anxious. You know, yeah. I can speak for like middle America here for naive middle America. I'm always nervous about camp, even though I've read about camp and known about camp and all that jazz. I went to grad school, all that jazz. <laughs> but I always feel a spasm of uneasiness as soon as camp is evoked. Because mm. for me, it's like, oh, you don't mean me. You mean this is where this all the smart people take over and it's uh-huh. got some tricky, you know, meaning and there's no real emotional content. And, and that's when I'm like that I'm out because uh, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and uh-huh. so... That's that's my nervousness about camp is if, if it's that notion of camp, I can't get on board. But, you know, when you read, of course, all the complex definitions of it, then you're back in. But for most people, I think who didn't go to grad school, they don't know. <laughs> this. They just think I think they just mean, oh, that means there's nothing serious. There's nothing in earnest here. So I'm out. Uh, no, you're right. You're. Right. I, of course, always have the opposite um, side of that coin, which is like, you know, I'm like, yep, it's not for you, Middle America. <laughs> I know, and it is very it's much for right, me, bitch. <laughs> I'm, no, and I'm exactly straddling the line of, of, middle, of middle America, and which I have to acknowledge. You know, you you can't pretend about yourself. Um, <laughs> But no, you're right. I get Haynes's, yeah, I get his nervousness. Like, well, maybe we can zoom in on one scene, which yeah, I think okay. is both camp and, you know, and simultaneously, like, so deeply meaningful. So mm-hmm. the scene where, which is also the poster, where Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, Julianne Moore is doing Natalie Portman's makeup. Yeah. Making, making her up. Um, you, okay, so, so with her own, with Julianne Moore's own makeup routine so right. that Natalie Portman can like learn what she does, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's so it's sexual and it's like charged, but it's also um, like a face off between them. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about their mothers. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, it's like every overdetermined Freudian cliche <laughs> in this like hot little box of like, you know, just like intensity, sex, um, humor um you know um 
competition. Mm -hmm. It's like every female cliche, you know, just like to the hundredth power. So it's, it's funny because all this, all of these um, vectors of desire are mm. so overdetermined, and we've seen them in so many other films. Yeah. And like well, Persona, you know, we, of course, is the most the Ingmar Bergman film. Persona, totally, <laughs> most but obvious like, one. <laughs> all about Eve, you know. All about Eve, any any Betty Davis, Joan Crawford. <laughs> I mean, there's just every, yeah. every face off <laughs> of two women who are kind of Titanic in their way taking each other on is going to evoke this yeah totally but it's also all also true Mm -hmm. (laughs) like there's no way if you're like equals um competing for something you know in the case of these women they're competing for like some whoever gets to sort of like be gracie you know in the public eye or or something along those lines Mm -hmm. like whoever gets to ultimately like tell the story or however you want to think of it but they're competing um in that competition there's kind of like a sexual charge Mm -hmm. and they're also you know both shaped by their histories and for women like undeniably that's going to have a hell of a lot to do with your mother (laughs) right well and and, you know the the idea of the sexual transgressor which of course is is a kind of the cross to bear that the julianne moore character has and that the elizabeth character takes up very willingly seemingly as part of her research (laughs) yeah (laughs) where she's just like she's in the pet store reenacting by herself the sex scene that she imagines between Yeah. At first gets Gracie in trouble with her relationship with Joe. They get caught and that's how the whole thing starts. Um, So, yeah. So all along, you've got this, how transgressive are we going to get really? And you're frankly waiting. You know it's happening. You know it's happening with this Elizabeth character. Mm -hmm. Again, Natalie Portman has learned how to take her gracious lady thing, which is maddening. You know, she does, and she does these, these, these wide, empty smiles, the whole, the whole first ah. sequence where you're just like, oh my God, you just want to kill her so mad. <laughs> where she's just like, and it's just saying the most empty, platitudinous thing yeah. about, oh, I see, I want you to feel seen and known <laughs> to Gracie. Yeah. And just like, you can just cringe while she does that vacuous, you know, very first lady-ish um, kind of smile and manner of a famous actor who's only a TV actor, but nevertheless, she gets to sort of hold court in front of students and, and citizens all everywhere she goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so where was it? So, so, uh, so no, you can just feel by the way she does these, that it's all going to break down in a series of transgressive moments, which it does when she's talking to apparently her partner, apparently her director, who she's having an affair with. There's all these kind of, ugly dismissive qualities to it so there's our impatience at the very least so, so there's all these ways and you're just waiting for the sexual transgression that you know she's going to engage in and yeah in that mirror scene with gracie they're so close face to face that you're literally thinking they're gonna kiss this is, yeah it's clearly leading up to this what's gonna happen and then and of course it doesn't happen that way Mm-mm. but you know something's going to happen Totally. And I love, oh my God, thank you for bringing up her transgressions. I Mm. love the way the film does this. So like uh, Portman's character, Elizabeth, you know, is Mm. like become trying to become Gracie. Mm. And she, when she does go to the high school, um, she's, Mm. she's shadowing the kids, the children of Gracie and Joe. But she goes to the drama class as like a, you know, a favor to the drama teacher. And Mm. there's an opportunity for the kids to ask her questions about 
working in Hollywood. And one kid jokingly asks her about sex scenes. And she's like, no, it's okay. I'll answer it. And she proceeds to launch into the most uncomfortable, inappropriate monologue, being yes. utterly honest <laughs> about what it is to do a sex scene in Hollywood and the very real desire you can feel for your co-star. And like, it's far too graphic for yes. high school kids. And it kids. sort of gradually silences all the kids. And you're just like, did she do this consciously? Because she mm-hmm. knew she could overwhelm the kids. Is she already so identified with Gracie that she's already yes. doing sexually transgressive experiments? Yes. Or, it was- or you know, there's that, there's that little hint at the beginning when they first meet. And, and Gracie says to Elizabeth, I thought you'd be taller, but you're just my size. And Elizabeth says, yeah, we're, we're the same. That mm. You're like, are we supposed to think she was already... She identifies with Gracie because she's already like that. Aha. Uh-huh. Yes, perhaps. That's a, yeah, that's a really good thing to bring up. So, I mean, that's Haynes's gift for implanting all of these different ways of interpreting behavior. That mm-hmm. just by doing that, by forcing you to pause over people's behaviors <laughs> and the multiple ways you can read them is already just such a blessing in this time. <laughs> Yes, just to not say it's an easy answer is so great. I just what a relief. Oh my god. Oh, I know. Bless this man, truly. Oh, and it god. well, I think so to follow that thread through about mm. Elizabeth's transgressive behavior. Yeah. Obviously, the like climax, pardon the pun, uh is <laughs> in the <laughs> is in the sex scene she has with Joe. Like she really does have sex with Joe as a way to get closer to the character of Elizabeth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very transgressive. Um but then for me, I'm like the very last scene is uh or maybe second to last, mm-hmm. um, when they're on the movie set. Um yeah. and she's working in that hackneyed scene <laughs> hackneyed sort of like, you know, poorly directed scene where she's um seducing an actor playing Joe with her yeah. snake. I also thought, by the way, she looked a little bit, was kind of dressed up to look like Blanche Dubois in that scene. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Wow. It was great. She kind of had the Vivian Lee streetcar wig, blonde, Mm -hmm. which fits with Kayla Torno. But anyway, um, I thought she kept one of the reasons or one of the ways you could read her repetition, her desire to keep repeating to do multiple takes of that scene as she... Um, as she put it, got closer to the truth. Mm. I thought in a way we were going to, There, it was like hinted she was trying to seduce that young actor because she's very concerned with the casting of that young actor. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yes. The horrible and, scenes where she's looking at the 13-year-old auditioning. It's mm-hmm. so uncomfortable. You're yeah. baby-like boys <laughs> auditioning to play this part, and she winds up evaluating them and saying they're not sexy enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not not like Joe must have been because you can tell he must have been sexy. And you're just like, oh, God, (laughs) I know this is just awful. (laughs) But it's so freaking brilliant. Like, it's just so good. Um, And then it also creates, as as Haynes points out, notice there's also a multiplicity of Joe's. You know, there's the images of the young, you know, there's the young versions we see in photos. There's the young actors trying, who are trying out to be Joe. There's Joe's son who looks a lot like Joe. Um, there's, you know, so it's, there's all of these, not only all the mirror images of the women, but Joe gets his, his many multiple versions as well. 
Yes, totally. And we're often reminded, the film does many things to remind us how young a 12 or 13-year-old boy yes. really is. Mm. Like Joe works in, he does x-rays for, you yeah. know, I forgot what that job is called. Yeah. But, um, x-ray technician? Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's a 13-year-old who breaks his hand and yeah. it's, you know, the size of Natalie Port. It's very small. And they remark upon his like small frame and his That's small right. She bones. puts her hand up and she's not big and her hand mm-hmm. is way big than his, bigger than his hand. That's right. Yeah. 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 So it's, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful reminder that people, you know, boys at 13 can also look like they are absolute children, you know, just yeah. some happen to grow a little faster. Yeah. But, um, there's a completely unanswered bit that I'll just throw in out of my own class consciousness. They live in this humongous house, this humongous fancy house. And I just yeah. kept watching going, who's paying for it? Oh, me too. Yeah. It's not the x-ray technician, and it's certainly not the, the woman who, who bakes things part-time for a very, very small clientele that's just helping her, supposedly, according to the lawyer that gets interviewed. They're just doing it to help her mm-hmm. um, feel better, feel more integrated in the community. So you're just like, where's the money? Co-? I mean, it's just like, I can't tell you how huge this house is. <laughs> yeah. You stare at it, and you're just right like... on the beach. <laughs> oh, it's right on the beach, and you're like, you could have three families living in there. Yeah. So big. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wondered, like, I mean, it seemed, I don't know, her family, you know, her family might have money. Yeah. Um, Or, oh, no, no. It's not. I know what it is. It's from pimping their fame. Um, There was this great detail about they sold their wedding pic. No, that's it. They sold their wedding pic. She's in People Magazine. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Yes. Because it it is interesting that that they, they just do it in a fast montage as part of the research that you see all these old photos and find out you know that they did all this they did all this publicity that makes you go wait that's right why is she doing this why would you let this filmmaker in and then at a certain point they say you know it's to help joe says to her to gracie it's to help you something like that and she says me and and he says well to help others understand us and you're like who why would you like years after the scandal where you were on the cover of people and everything else that's that's crazy like why why allow this why do this there's no explanation but and it's just like that's it just adds to the disturbance because you know nothing good can come of this totally so so that yeah they get i mean just to be really clear like they sold their wedding photos to the insider to pay for the house that's right i forgot that yes that's it that's so yeah it's a splendid splendid house yes but you know just such a i read somebody describe it and and this brings up again what what genre are we dealing with you know melodrama and it's probably just melodrama but someone else said it's it's got a gothic quality because they have Mm -hmm. to live such you know they live in that house and they have people over to the yeah. house. But like among the earliest things that happened is a very nicely wrapped package of, of shit arrives. <laughs> they still periodically get and take in their stride because getting, you know, reviled by the community was a part of their whole experience. So they're still getting neatly mailed packages of shit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. To sort of suggest not only do they live on an Island and I forget the name of the Island, they it's identified and I can't remember um, mm. in Georgia, but they're also very insular and kind of to themselves in this, you know, house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, and they, Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to um, just like affirm the Gothic nature. Like, yeah, there's definitely something about their world feels like super circumscribed mm-hmm. and, and, you know, 
uh, I don't know, like immovable. Um, and Joe himself, like he kind of isn't really allowed to go out. Right. Or like he has to check in. He's nervous about checking in with Gracie all the time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He feels like very like, mm, I don't know, definitely hemmed in by her and kind of related. Like one thing I thought the film did so beautifully is illustrate the cycle. Like this abuse is it's works through. um there's something about this kid, like he had to be a parent for his own siblings early on. Right. And Gracie demands that same care from him in a way right. he's very comfortable with. It's unfortunate that he's comfortable with it because it's part of the thing that has already, you know, uh, chipped away at his youth before he meets her, uh, mm-hmm. before she finally completely robs him of it. But this then the same thing happens with their own children. Like Joe's been a really decent father. You get mm-hmm. the sense up to this time, even though he does still like seem like one of the kids in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And there's this like harrowing scene um, when his son, who's 18 and about to go to college, has a joint on the roof where some sometimes the kids hang out and Joe's up there with him and Joe's never smoked a joint. And Joe looks at him and says, like, go ahead. Like, it's no big deal. Like, he's a peer and not his parent. The son sparks it up, um, shares it with his dad, who's never smoked marijuana. Mm-hmm. And Joe has, like, a freak out where he gets really emotional. He stumbles, almost stumbles off the roof. And he gets really emotional. And he starts to, it's uh, the ways that everything is fucked up seem to, like, crowd in on him. Mm-hmm. And he starts to apologize. He apologizes for like making a bad memory in real time, as he says, yes. for his son. Oh, he has a wonderful line. He says, I don't know if we're connecting or if I'm just creating another bad memory for you or something. Really, it's really poignant. Yeah. It's devastating. And his son does have to save him, does have to like cradle him and comfort him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh God, here it goes again. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the cycle perpetuates itself. And mm-hmm. it, I just thought that was like, it was beautiful. And it, it was, it was woven throughout that theme. And it was just like really brilliantly handled. I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know and he gets, he really has a gift for blending. Oh, aspects of things that you associate with different genres, though I'm not sure that's really accurate. There's there's so much that's black, you know, very black comedy, very dark mm-hmm. comedy elements throughout. While it's clearly melodrama, but it, it's because it's so discombobulating that sometimes you just get completely, completely thrown with what kind of a movie you're watching, and you can't, like I said, you can't settle like you often can in a more formulaic film where you kind of know where it's going to go. Here you just don't know (laughs) where it's going to go. You're on tenterhooks the whole time. Yes. And that's really a gift of his. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's phenomenal. I feel like run, do not walk to see this movie. Yeah. (laughs) And and, it would be useful, I think, to to try to sort of put it in terms of Todd Hayne films. One thing that also unsettles you is he's made such a string of films, not all of them, but where if if it's a woman entrapped within her like society psyche and her society that are kind of intertwined your whole identification tends to be with her Mm -hmm. and here that's available to you but you can't do that and you and if if it's julianne moore she's the one and here if it's julianne moore you can't comfortably do that so it's like he's using his own history with julianne moore in safe and far from heaven to make to add an extra layer of feeling disturbed and and uncomfortable that's really effective yeah i agree um 
I mean, it's, I feel like this is a real like masterwork by him. I love mm-hmm. all of his films. There, mm-hmm. There's not a single one that I think is bad or stupid. Um, mm-hmm. This brings together like the romanticism and sort of like lushness of Far From mm-hmm. Heaven for me mm-hmm. and Carol. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not the same love story in any way, mm-hmm. but they're like, it's so bu- visually beautiful. But like lately he has um, his his film before this one is called Dark Waters. And it was mm-hmm. set, I think, in the 90s about a lawyer who uncovers uh, DuPont's poisoning of, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, like a water supply. Um, God, I forgot somewhere in the Midwest. I shouldn't I should know. I'm sorry. Um, but he does. The, you know, he has done the rip from the headlines thing, mm-hmm. um, even if the headlines were like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I thought it was interesting, speaking of right from the headlines, that he did place it in 2015 and that he did um, want oh, yeah. to make it, to set it in a pre-Trump era. Yeah. So it's just apparently when he first read it, first encountered it, it was just contemporary. Yeah. And then he decided to play. He likes period anyway, he said. It's just, you know, the so do the Coen brothers. The Coen brothers would do the same thing. They'd send it a few a few years even into the past. They have the same attitude. He said something like, it just allows you to frame it and get control over it in a way that you feel less comfortable doing if it's completely contemporary and you're in the flux. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, 2015, and he stipulated he wanted it to be pre-Trump. I wonder why that mattered. Well, he seemed to indicate, I mean, it was a little bit convoluted, the answer, but he seemed to indicate it was like before ideological lines were so drawn. I Mm -hmm. I think he meant before everyone would have had a stance that was in cement. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was still, it was still a time when you'd be like, Oh wow, I feel unsettled. Now I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I know broad stroke, but in the, Mm -hmm. in the specifics, I'm very unsettled, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And one of the things that makes this so hard to like settle on or like, you know, calcify your opinion about mm-hmm. is that in the film, at least their children seem lovely. Yeah, um, they seem yeah. Uh, like grounded, you know, smart, well cared for. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so- they have tensions that, that are yeah. that are that are sharp. You know, Julianne Moore has, you know, things that she's literally gotten from her mother and handed down literally a tr- the quote unquote traditional. Yeah. present at graduation for her daughter is a scale that you can <laughs> you can weigh yourself and, well what did julianne moore get from her mother she got a scale and she uh, says hilariously try getting along without a scale <laughs> in life yeah. as if it's just like the most vital thing in the world <laughs> yeah totally and so so there's these very sharp points of angst but but nevertheless you're right you don't get the sense that the children are fucked up Mm-mm. Much nope. unlike the the Jordy character from her previous marriage, who very much seems fucked up. Yep, exactly. So and th- you know that's one way that you can't easily dismiss their union. You know, mm-hmm. um. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, well, that's. I just keep wanting to come back to that 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 opening, like that insistence on his nurturing. Yeah, is presumably what gets him into the place he's in but it's also it's his saving it's a, the, his greatest quality it's what he gives to his children but it's just 
That's what's so harrowing. I can remember watching film noir and and seeing the opening of Double Indemnity. And Double Indemnity has a great, famous opening, Billy Wilder's great at openings. And he he just has a man on crutches coming toward the camera in silhouette until his shadow, the man on crutches, engulfs the whole image. And so it has a kind of scary quality. While at the Mm -hmm. same time, the man on crutches is a, a sort of pitiable figure. Well, of course, in the movie, the man on crutches is both the victim of a murder and the murderer who's imitating him as a, as a, as a way of, of getting away with the murder. So it's a kind of combination of, of opposed qualities that unsettles you. I'm just like, you can't get comfortable with this idea of nurturing. And you have to constantly watch him nurturing Julianne Moore through hysterical attacks. While at the totally. same time, she won't let him talk about what began their romance that had such a terrible impact on him as a, as a boy. Um, yeah. So it's like even nurturing, which we normally just have an uncritical idea of that's always good. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like here, it's like Todd Haynes interrogating nurturing or something. It's just like, it was just fascinating to me. I mean, that was really bold. Oh yeah. No, it was brilliant. And I mean, it's true that uh, the, Butterfly comes to maturity the morning yes. of his kid's graduation. Yes. And the graduation uh, really breaks him up. Joe watches from afar. He doesn't sit next to his wife in the bleachers. Mm. He stands he there crying, them. watching. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's wonderful. I mean, yeah, mm. the whole thing is just, it's so excellent. Um, again, I just feel like it's such an antidote to what we just saw with Priscilla. Mm-hmm. So much depth. I feel like I know... I, I, if I don't know the reason for everyone's behavior, which you also don't know in life, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I at least like have a feeling of their like emotional map sort of, you know, mm-hmm. and I have empathy for everyone except maybe Elizabeth. Oh no. She gets harder and harder to empathize with. Yeah. Well. Yes. She's she the behind. cipher. And that's kind of interesting as, I mean, Todd Haynes is, so again, he's making a film about making a film. Mm -hmm. And if she's the representative of like art, (laughs) um, you know, she's not coming out with such a good. Not coming out well. Yeah. Yeah. I think in part because her conviction is she actually, she's convinced she's better than she is. Yeah. Constantly insisting on these high moral, I don't know, or high aesthetic principles that she's operating from. And it's, it's just bullshit as far as we can tell, you know, yeah. she, doesn't, she doesn't seem able to grapple with, with, I don't know, anything that might come close to the quote unquote truth. <laughs> and she doesn't seem to have, she doesn't seem to have warm human feelings for anyone. When, when he asks mm-hmm. her like, what just happened after they have the, the sex scene and then he's appalled by her and he's angry and he's like, I thought we were connecting. And he said, what was, what just happened then? And, and she just said, well, that's what adults do. <gasps> that was devastating. It was just like such a shocking line because of course, well, <laughs> that's also what adults do to kids. And, yep. you know, just, just, it's such a cold, flat, horrible kind of, are you an ant person? <laughs> totally. Kind of statement. Totally. Yes. So then at the end, it's, it is interesting. You're willing to give her the benefit of the doubt, I think, at the beginning and think there's more. Go- we're going to find out more. And it just seems to thin out toward the end as if, no, she's she's being given less and less step as they're given yeah. more and more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I might be bl- blathering. You could probably if you like Natalie Portman better, you might disagree. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't hate her. I think she's coming along, but yeah. But to I me, don't to admire me, her as much as Todd Haynes uh, does in interviews. Anyway, he insists he's, she's great, but he I would mean, anyway. He's a polite gent, as far as I can tell. He's such a gent, absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, whatever he she's used to great effect here, um, and I just, oh, I just love him. I'm so grateful for him, Todd Haynes. Thank you for making yes. films. And one, <laughs> one more thing to add: apparently, for years, he's been trying to get made a ten part film series dealing with Sigmund Freud. And he's what, like, he can't around. get funding for that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, he did, and COVID, forget who he was <gasps> with. And Shut COVID up. broke it all apart. COVID ruined oh. the deal. And he's never been able to get it back together. But it's like, he's, he said, it's, it's my big goal. It's my like lifelong goal that I don't know if I'll ever reach now because the whole deal fell apart and I had it. Oh, I want to see his Sigmund Freud so bad. I mean, and he talks about it very earnestly. He's he's basically like saying, I'm like a Freudian. And I'm like, nobody says oh, I'm yes. like Freudian. I'm just like, man, that is bold. <laughs> I love it. I want to see what oh. he does with, with Freud. Oh, no, totally. So Todd Haynes was uh, Marianne Doan's student at Brown mm-hmm. University. Marianne Doan is an august film scholar. She teaches at Berkeley now. And she gave him, upon his graduation, the complete works of Sigmund Freud. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I like to think she is in part responsible for this. Yeah. yeah. So I just, fingers crossed on the Freud thing. Because, you know, no one's done Freud. There's one version of Freud I know of. That's uh, John Huston's Freud with Montgomery Cliff, which I've still never managed to see. It's not considered one of his great films, but I'd love to see it. Oh, I would but other than that, it. who's ever done Freud? Freud's huge. There, there was that film, and it wasn't really about Freud, but like Kira Knightley was like Freud's lover. Oh, the I Freud's forgot. lover thing. Oh, I thought that was yeah. Jung's lover. No, it was totally Freud. It was Freud's lover. I'm pretty oh. sure. Hold on. Hold that off. I'm gonna Freud. Maybe you're right. No, maybe you're right. Maybe it was Freud. Oh, Dangerous no. Method. Yeah. Um, I didn't see starring Kira Knightley, Vigo Mortensen, and Michael Fassbender. Oh, yeah. it's a story of young Freud. It, it, both young and Freud. Both and young this and woman Freud. she plays okay. Sabina Spielrein. Oh, right. I so, guess I need to watch it. Yeah. You kind of don't, but it is directed by <laughs> David Cronenberg. <laughs> Believe it or not. I, I like caught it on TV. It's just kind of like dirty, but you yeah, know. Yeah, that's what I, that was my impression. I remember watching the previews going, ew. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't that's think how it that's felt watching it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, we yeah, we okay. need this Todd Haynes Freud movie. You need to bring Freud Freud back Todd Haynes. Uh, absolutely. I just want to see what he would do because he's not, you know, it's it's again the seriousness. And the in-depth, I don't do great. I don't do kid-like dismissals of things. It's just going to be so fabulous. Oh my god! Yeah. So yes, here's praying that he gets to do his film. Otherwise, I'm not so excited because his next film is has supposedly got Joaquin Phoenix, and it's just a gay, a gay of an explicit gay love story. And I, Todd Haynes. Yeah. What? Like when That's, is it set? I don't know. I don't know. That's all he said about it. He he, and I guess he's he's developed it with with Joaquin Phoenix, huh? Which makes me. I mean, nervous. I'm in. I don't, I mean, you don't like Joaquin Phoenix? It, yeah, you don't like Joaquin Phoenix? Well, I'm getting so I don't like him. I haven't seen Napoleon yet, but I'm prepared to hate it. And I don't know. I saw Bo is Afraid, and just lately, Joaquin Phoenix is working on my last nerve. But we'll see. We'll see. Okay. All right. Oh right. yeah, it's good. It's a gay romantic drama set in 1930s Los Angeles. Oh, 30s Los Angeles. Okay, um, that's more interesting. 
ooh, push the film into NC-17 territory. You know what? Good for you, Todd Haynes. I'll oh, yeah, see that. Said, very explicit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh. I, yeah, I want to know. Yes. This I is know. great. Bold filmmaker <laughs> and, and doing great work. So everybody yeah. watch it. It's on Netflix. Easy peasy. Yeah, go All get right. it. <laughs> I, I think that wraps it up unless you have a last brilliant thing to throw out there. I have no um, more brilliant. I have only bouquets for Mr. Todd Haynes. <laughs> only bouquets, exactly. That's how we're in. <laughs> that is it. We are calling this episode Todd ha- May, uh, May December Todd <laughs> Haynes Mature Take because we want to congratulate maturity. Used to be a thing, not so much anymore. We're glad to see he's he, he's the, he's got it for us. Um, thank you, dear listeners, and of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in caterpillar eggs. If you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all the film suck content. Instead of just half, you can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more fantastic film suck conversation. And until then, thank you guys for listening as always. Bye. Bye.